The following is an Auburn Network production. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7. Auburn Opelika, sports leader. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Hope you're doing well on this hot, sunny, beautiful day in the Auburn Opelika area. This is On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goins. Alongside me, as always, is Carter Byrne. Hope you're all doing well on this Tuesday, June 27th, 2023. Lots to talk about here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line here on ESPN 106.7. We will read cap what was a I don't want to say disappointing end to the College World Series because you got a lot of runs and a lot of hits and a lot of crazy things, uh, but we will talk about the blowout win in the National Championship game last night in college baseball. Also have some things to talk about when it comes to Auburn football as the newcomers have their jersey assignments, so we can talk about that a little bit today about the uh, the freshmen and the transfers getting their new numbers, talk about who we're excited about in that group of players, uh, whether it be freshmen or transfer portal guys. Then later on, want to talk about the letter that the NCAA sent out today about the new NIL rules. Really, really interesting, uh, controversial, no doubt about it. So we will talk about that some today as well. And then, uh, as long as we can get to it, we'll talk about how the ESPN FPI predicted Auburn's football record in 2023. And I'm going to tell you why they're wrong and so that's what's coming up today here on on the line carter happy tuesday brother hope you're doing well oh yeah i'm doing great it's a nice sunny day outside it's miserable outside man it's, it's miserable it's and it's only going to get worse it's going to get even hotter over the next few days yeah it is it is but uh did you also see that it's going to rain for like 10 straight days starting on like saturday stop we don't talk about rain on the 4th of july because i'm, I, I'm just i'm just Sorry, my, my, my facts <laughs> over here, or at least I, I looked at it yesterday, and that's what it said. Yeah, it is. So it, it's is literally, so looking in, in Trustful, which is where up in Birmingham, man. where I'm going to be for 4th of July, my family, if you listen to this show, you probably know uh, we have a fireworks store up there in Trustville, and uh, rain on the, 4th of the, on the 4th of July is a sin. It is something we do not speak of, but... When you look at the the radar, it's supposed to 35% chance on Friday, 30% chance Saturday, 50 Sunday, 50 Monday, and 50 Tuesday. So what we're hoping is, while it is going to be triple digits temperature-wise, uh, we're hoping that if it does rain, it's just a here and there scattered shower. We can deal with that. It's just the days that rain from morning to night that's what really puts a damper on things. So hopefully not. We'll see, though, and hopefully none of your uh, 4th of July plans get rained out. Speaking of 4th of July, while we're on the t- on the uh, subject, here on ESPN 106.7, on Monday the 3rd and Tuesday the 4th, okay, that's starting next week for the 4th of July holiday, on Monday the 3rd and Tuesday, July 4th, no max roundtable, no on the line, and no drive. Okay, so none of our local shows will be here on the air on Monday, July 3rd, and Tuesday, July 4th. So I'm uh, glad you brought that up because 
did want to mention that and go ahead and start getting that in your ear. Uh, we will not be live here on ESPN 106.7 on Monday the 3rd and Tuesday, July 4th, celebrating the 4th of July holiday. So looking forward to uh, to that, but just keep that in mind. We will not be live here on ESPN 106.7. But, hey, phone lines are open today. Give us a call. We want to hear from you. Anything on your mind in the sports world, if you have something to chime in uh, about what we're talking about, an extra thought, question, comment, concern, whatever you got, give us a call on the phone lines. You can be on the line. 334-321-1390 and want to jump into this talking about the College World Series. It has come to an end and the LSU Tigers are your national champions in 2023. Thanks to the 18-4 drumming they gave Florida last night in Game 3 of the National Championship Series. Started out as a really good game. Started out going back and forth and then LSU decided yeah, we're done with this, and we are going to put you out of your misery if you're the Florida Gators, and LSU wins it by a score of 18-4, to and Paul Skeens never touched the field. Yeah, it's I tell you what, the way that they just jumped, you saw Florida hit this um, home run, or that home run to start the game, White Langford, another just rocket uh, to go up 2 nothing, and I thought, oh boy, this is why you start Paul Skeens. But then you watch that LSU offense go to work, and it just, they found green grass. Uh, Jack and I were were talking about this yesterday. Just uh, every time the ball came off LSU's bat, it just found holes in the Florida defense. It felt like, and I know this isn't reality, felt like every hard-hit ball Florida had was right at somebody, and the LSU feelers ate up so much space Mm -hmm. and then on the flip side it felt like every ball LSU put into play it felt like the Florida fielders were miles away from each other and they all found holes lots of hard hit balls for LSU well yes and no like some kind of hard hit balls that like just were perfectly positioned in the six hole there's one where a guy hits like a 12 hopper through the six hole and it's the perfect spot where um the third baseman for florida can't cut it off coming across the shortstop can't get it going deep into the six hole and it rolls in the outfield they had some of those like off the end of the bat little floating line drives that floated over the second baseman and shortstop they just found green grass and then they they took advantage with a couple home runs and blew it open and uh jack Caglione, uh, Cags, he helped them off the bat by hitting some guys, walking some guys. That Florida staff struggled. But I just, it was a clinic of putting the bat on the ball, putting it in play, and getting fortunate that it was just finding green grass. Yeah. I mean, Dylan Cruz, like even he, he had some hard hit balls, yes. But his opposite field ball into right center that rolls all the way to the wall. He's hit a heck of a lot harder balls at the College World Series, and it was perfectly positioned between the center fielder and the right fielder to roll up under the fence, and it got him a triple. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what was... I don't even know if that was his final at bat. I think I thought it was going to be his final at bat, and he may have come up one more time and singled the left center. Um, But yeah, it was just... It was a clinic to watch these... 
these LSU, that LSU lineup that was so dangerous, to watch them just get hit after hit after hit, it felt like every inning they're getting two, three hits. And when that happens, unless you're having your own historic game on on offense for Florida, you're not going to hang with them. Right. It, it was very it was very kinematic because like you talked about it already how how Florida started out early and we were like oh no like this is the discussion we had before the game yesterday about how this is why you start Paul Skeens like you start Paul Skeens to get off to a hot start to where to where Florida cannot get off to a hot start and we were like oh no maybe maybe LSU messed up but then after some controversial plays in the field on both sides after a lot of drama early all the things you just talked about how LSU just turned it on with timely hits, good placement hits, hard hits, plays in the field, and LSU was just the better team last night. Yeah. And they got to play an entire game where Paul Skeens was available, but they didn't have to use him. And it worked out for them, right? It worked out for for LSU to not have to play Paul Skeens. And it's crazy because outside of game one, where LSU won it 4-3, to three, in extra innings in the 11th inning the other two games were blowouts you had a 20 run win in the in the second game Florida over LSU and then you had a 14 run victory with LSU over Florida I mean I can't think of the last time we saw it like that in the college world series finals and and again I don't want to call it a disappointing end because the college world series was so much fun man from start to finish it was one of the best ones I've seen in a long, long time. So many good games, so many close games. Think about all the one-run games we had to start the College World Series. Mm-hmm. And it was still fun to watch these games, even though they were blowouts. It was still fun to watch them. I would argue, and Jack and I were texting about this after the game, um, this series was very, very close. Think about it. You get one huge blowout in Florida's favor, 24-4. to you get one huge blowout in LSU's favor, 18-4. to The other game was, what, 4-3, a one-run game? These are two evenly matched teams. You just had one game spiral out of control for each of them where the other school, school ran away with it. Mm-hmm. I bet if we played a seven-game series, it probably goes to seven. I'll be honest. These are two great teams, and both of them are deserving to win the national championship. It's just LSU scraped across enough to win their seventh national championship which i mean they trail usc who has 12 but i mean almost all of those are like from the prehistoric times <laughs> happening way before like back in the 60s and 70s and before anybody really uh paid attention to the level that we do of the college world series right now yeah and and look with game one being as fun as it was obviously I wish we could have had that one as game three, right? You have a blowout game one, blowout game two, and then the national championship come down to an 11-inning, one-run game, right? That would have been a lot more entertaining. But it doesn't take away, in my opinion, anything from, from, from this College World Series. It really doesn't because this was a lot of fun. Even with Auburn not being in it, it was still a lot of fun. And congratulations to to LSU on winning the national championship, another title for the SEC. 
you look at the final D1 baseball top 25 and some notable some notable teams in this ranking, LSU obviously won, Florida 2, Wake Forest 3, Stanford 4. You look down at some other SEC squads, Tennessee 7, Alabama at 10. Uh, you have Texas, who will be coming to the SEC next year at 14, Arkansas at 16, Kentucky at 17, Vandy at 19, and that wow, rounds out the top 25. Vanderbilt. Yeah, how wow. about that? They were ruthless to teams that did not go deep in the tournament that were highly rated going into it. Dropping Auburn from 20 out, uh, I mean, it makes sense. I was going to say, do you agree with Auburn not being in the final top 25 for baseball? With with the way that D1 baseball has has ranked them all year, it's not shocking to me at all. It really isn't. Um, well, especially but, given their performance. I mean... Yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, it was tough. Uh, but they were pretty daggone ruthless i mean maryland drops from 19 out yukon drops from 10 out like that's nuts yeah. <laughs> on one weekend that's where, where things drop. don't go your way you get dropped at least 16 spots out of the top 25 they were they were ruthless i mean auburn's drop doesn't shock me um some of these other ones feel a little excessive if we're being honest um by the way, I, I, I did the research. Uh, USC, there are 12 national championships. Just one of them is after 1978. Wow. So they won 11 national championships from 1948 to 1978. And then won one in 1998. And that's it. They're pretty good in years that end in eight. 48, 58, 68, 78, and 98. Well, they've got uh, five more years before they can start mm-hmm. thinking about another national championship in baseball. They haven't been like. to the College World Series since one, by the way. I knew it for, was a while. For, a, for the most historically decorated program in the country to not have gone to the College World Series in 20 years, wow. And I feel like a lot of people, if you were to ask them that question, they would not say USC. They wouldn't say that. They would not answer they that. They would say LSU or Texas. Right. LSU, LSU or Texas would be the first two names out of their mouths and I think you have to start looking at not necessarily recency but more recent than all of your championships being in the 50s 60s and 70s I mean there this is a different time in college baseball college sports in general um so I think you you have to start looking at that if you want to talk about who are the premier programs in college baseball the most decorated programs in college baseball not to take anything away from what they did 50 60 years ago LSU's won all all seven of theirs in the last 32 years and the largest gap there is that 09 to 23 span that we have seen that just ended uh they're a runner-up in there as well Texas Texas has six so this was when LSU pulled ahead of them um Texas has had a dry spell as well they won in 02 and 05 and have not have not won since They've been the runner-up in 04 and 09. They won a bunch way back in the day as well. 45, 50, 75, uh, 83. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's those are your three programs that have won the most. And uh, But I think you got to say right now, LSU is the king of college baseball. Yeah, they are. And they are the national champions. Uh, not sure if you saw the quote from, uh, from Todd Walker, who uh, played in, in the majors from, uh, oh, I want to say, 90... 95, 96, and then about the mid-2000s, about 06, 07, uh, he had a quote about Paul Skeen saying... 96 to 07. Okay, yeah, I, I, it was in there. 
he had a quote about Paul Skeens where he basically said, that's the best season I've ever seen a college pitcher have. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I don't know if you can argue that, man. I just don't know if you can argue that. Paul Skeens was so good every single time he stepped in. And he didn't get to play last night, didn't have to play last night. And so basically the arguments and discussions we were having didn't come into, into fruition at all because he didn't have to come in. And good for him, right? Good for him for not having to come in last night and and, th- and risk any sort of injury for what his future is going to be for what seems to be number one or number two overall pick. I believe Dylan Cruz became the fourth player to win the Golden Spikes Award and a national championship. I think there were two from Arizona. Uh, one of the names on the list that I saw, because they showed the graphic in the middle of the game when LSU had the game in hand, but they couldn't they couldn't put his name up there yet. Terry Francona did it. How about that? Okay. I did not know that. Yeah. Huh. Okay. That's a good list to be on then if you are Dylan Cruz. <laughs> I mean, that's a very small list, but it's a good list to be on. Um, he, he's unbelievable too. I mean, he had the play, obviously the play in the outfield, uh, but he, he's just he's so good, man. He's so good in him and Paul Skeens and, and so many players you saw in the LSU Florida series, players you saw in the College World Series. Do you still have your stat from yesterday on how many players that are in the projected MLB draft were playing in the College World Series? Wasn't it half of the college prospects so played in Omaha? The There are 20 in the projected ESPN's mock draft that they dropped yesterday. They had top 40 picks mapped out. 20 of them are high schoolers. Obviously, they can't play in the College World Series. 20 of them are college players. 11 of them played in the College World Series this year of those 20. Eight of them are SEC players, and 14 of those 20 played in the College World Series at some point in their career. I think that's impressive. Yeah. I think it's impressive because I, you know what that tells me? It tells me that even if you're good enough to go pro out of high school, doesn't mean you have to. I'm, I'm willing to bet that out of the top 40 picks, there's never been a year where 11 of them played in the College World Series. That's probably, I mean, it's probably pretty accurate. I mean, that's that's probably a pretty good bet because yeah, I mean, it like this felt like the most star-studded college world series we've seen in a while, and, and that included and it's headli- headlined by that Florida team that's got three players in the top forty, that LSU team that's got number one and number two. Uh, like, there's big names all over this college world series, and it showed. I mean, the the teams with the most talented teams made it to the end, and they played each other. And the D two most talented teams played each other for, in the series to win a national championship. Mm-hmm. I think I saw uh, Jeff Passan uh, this morning on Pat McAfee's show say that LSU's roster, if you stacked it up, just just their their college baseball roster, if you stacked it up with the farm systems across Major League Baseball. Their roster right now is better than a third of Major League Baseball's farm systems in terms of value. Wow. Interesting. That's a that's a statement right there. Yeah. And and I know we got to get to break, but this is an LSU team that down the stretch did not play good. They were not playing good down the stretch and we were worried yeah. and concerned and it, we said that. I know the Chris, bats went cold. The pitching yeah. was rough outside of schemes. We had Chris Gordy of Locked On SEC. He talked about that too. He was like, "Look, man, I don't know if they have the pitching to get there." And a lot of people thought that. 
but you saw guys step up as the postseason went on. You've got you got guys who were barely throwing innings throw, have huge outings. We saw 17 strikeouts in Game 1. Thatcher heard through well last night. I mean, they really did step up. It was amazing. Yeah, they did. And LSU wins the national championship. They defeat Florida last night in Game 3. And so uh, congratulations to, to the LSU Tigers. But when we come back, we got to get to a break. When we come back, question of the day, talking about some Alabama basketball news that we have yet to get to. I know it's it's a little bit in the past, but it's still really big news around the SEC. How big is it that Quinterly from Alabama is transferring from the Crimson Tide? We'll talk about that when we come back here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. All right, question of the day here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Give us a call, 334-321-1390. Carter, in your mind, when it comes to the SEC college basketball and Auburn's sake as well, some news we have yet to discuss on this show, the fact that Javon Quinterly is transferring from Alabama. How big is that in your mind? Oh, I think it's big because he was going to be the backup point guard to Sears. And that Alabama, I don't think that Alabama team is going to be very good right now. I think they're going to struggle this upcoming season. They're not very big. I mean, they might. We don't know what the status of Grant Nelson is. He's maybe privately committed, but working out some academic stuff is what I have heard if that doesn't work out. I mean, feels feels very um, it feels very uh, Grayson McCall kind of, <laughs> and it's a good way to put if it. that if that bites Alabama in the butt, then yikes! I don't feel good about that Alabama team at all mm-hmm. this next year. Uh, but Quinterly, I mean, Quinterly was the guy that Alabama fans like always pointed to. It was like, oh well, we. No matter what, we've got Quinterly, and we've seen what he's done in the past in big spots and best sixth man in college basketball, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and it became a thing that they were like, oh, Quinterly's going to get after Janai Broom this year. Now where do you go? Right. And a where, four. Where, where do you go on Alabama basketball Twitter to to defend your program? Because mm-hmm. you don't have Brandon Miller. You don't have Clowney. You don't have Betty Ako. You don't have Quinterly. I don't think he did a good job replacing that group right now. Yeah, and, you know, here's what's interesting about that. On June 1st, Quinterly posted a photo of himself uh, with some trophies that he had won and and been a part of since he was in Tuscaloosa. And I guess it was behind him, and I'm trying to find the photo, but I guess behind him it was like big bold letters that says, I'm back, and then... 20-something days later, he enters the transfer portal. Yeah, and they're they're not the only team that are have guys who have committed to being on the roster that maybe maybe there's some issues there. And the, in the in the caption, he said, quote, one more, Bama Nation. And then 24 days yeah. later, he enters the transfer portal. So well, I don't know what you want to say about that, but maybe not a great look. Look at what's happened with at some other schools with Devin Cambridge. I mean, he committed to the to the Oregon Mallards, the Oregon Ducks, and then he he uh, you see him committing to Texas Tech the other day. There's some buzz out there that maybe you're going to see more movement at Oregon, 
And uh, maybe that's going to benefit some teams that desperately need players. Um, but yeah, it's interesting how we're we're seeing um, this this the NIL space, the transfer portal on basketball feels like it's going deeper than all of the other sports because like we're not that far away from classes starting for some of these schools, mm-hmm. and you've got guys that are still making decisions about where they're gonna play college ball this next year yeah it's a little rocky it's it's a little rocky on the on the side of the players it's rocky on the side of the programs that are trying to figure out who in the world are we going to put on the floor in 23 and 24 I mean there are some programs that are having that conversation and having that worry as we speak and so I think when it comes to uh, Javon Quinterly he's a guy that was really really skilled he kept Alabama in a lot of games. He won them some games at times in his Alabama career. Um, he's a good – I mean, look, he, he's a good player, man. Former five-star, started at Villanova. He is a guy that was experienced in this conference. And it's going to hurt Alabama that they don't have that experience on this year's team because yeah. you and I agree, we just don't think they're as talented as they have been in the past. And so big news, Quinterly transferring from Alabama basketball. When we come back – We'll talk about Auburn football as the newcomers have their jersey numbers. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 minutes into hour number one here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Well, Auburn football, out of all the newcomers, the freshmen, the transfers, they all have their jersey numbers. And so it's always exciting to see who is going to be wearing what number. And I also want to talk about who we are excited about the most out of these transfers, freshmen, all of that. We'd love to hear from you on the phone lines, 334-321-1390. We'll start with the transfers and talk about uh, their jersey numbers, anything that sticks out to us, anything different. There are a couple of changes as well. Uh, I think three guys got jersey number changes. Uh, We'll talk about the 2023 class coming in and what their jersey numbers are as well. Uh, But we'll start with uh, the – it goes in numerical order, and we'll start with probably the biggest transfer name, Peyton Thorpe, quarterback from Michigan State, will wear number one for Auburn on the field this year. And and, uh, I think that's exciting. I like when a quarterback wears number one, and, and yeah. Peyton Thorne, who is in the mix for the starting quarterback job, will be wearing number one. Yeah, and uh, hopefully he can make everybody forget about the last uh, number one to play quarterback <laughs> at Auburn. Uh, but I have yeah, a feeling Peyton, he can. Peyton Thorne, um, excited to see it. We we had seen some pictures of him wearing his number one jersey. He's not the only new number one, though, because uh, Nehemiah Pritchett is moving numbers mm-hmm. from 18 to 1. I believe he's changed – I think this is his second number change in his career. I can't recall what he wore. I thought he wore something else his his freshman year. He's but. one of he's one of three people to change their jersey number. Pritchett going from eighteen to one. Wilkie Denod going from fifty two to forty, and then Justin Rogers going from ninety seven to fifty two. All right. So as a freshman, he wore eighteen. Then as a sophomore, he wore fourteen. Then he wore a he wore eighteen for his junior and senior year, and for his fifth year. He is wearing... I'm trying to picture him in a 14 jersey. 
Yeah. I, <laughs> I'm really trying to find that I in my brain. I vaguely like, recall this. Maybe did he have a kick return against somebody or a pick six or something where in 14? I just I always know have. of 18. I mean, I, I, that's really interesting. I've always just thought of him as 18. I, and I'm sure, I'm sure you can find pictures of it. But he will now be wearing number one on the, uh, on the defensive side of the ball. And Peyton Thorne will be wearing number one on the offensive side, the quarterback transfer for Auburn. We'll talk some more about these guys and their numbers coming up in just a few minutes. But want to get to the phone lines, 334-321-1390. Dan, you're on the line. What's up, man? Hey, guys. <clears throat> can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah, I got you, man. Okay, I'd like to go through an exercise with you guys, because you know you see a lot of articles out there, and they're like, "Well, Auburn, you know, it's got a huge rebound. I mean, it's going to take take a lot. It, they lost so much." But then I'm looking at the, the team as a whole, and if you break it down to position by position, mm-hmm. from where we were last year to where we are this year, with all the new transfers in, it to me it shows a lot different of a picture. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's just oh, me no, being a typical I'm- Auburn fan and. I'm 100% with you. I mean, you could you could go position, like you said, position by position, uh, player for player, star for star, ranking for ranking if you want to. Um, this is a drastically different looking Auburn football team. This is a drastically better looking Auburn football team, more talented, I think more experienced, thanks to what Hugh Freeze did in the transfer portal, knowing he had to hit it hard. Um, I think you can say there's a lot more confidence in this Auburn roster than what we've seen in the last couple of years, just because there are legitimate dudes on this team in pretty much all mm-hmm. positions across the field. I think that's that's not an unfair thing to say, uh, Dan, when it comes to just comparing this year's roster just even to last year's roster. This one is going to compete in the SEC where last year's roster just didn't have the guys to do it. Yeah, I mean, because I, I went through it position by position. And like, if, you, if you start at quarterback, well, you know, now you have a, a, an actual experienced quarterback in the mix, which we really didn't have last year. I, I think it's a, obviously a huge upgrade over losing Finley, TJ Finley. So I think that's definitely an upgrade. Running backs, you can kind of go, okay, well, you lost Tank. But I, I always thought Jarquez honestly did better. And I, and I, I don't expect there to really be much of a drop off. And I think there's a lot of young talent there. So. You know, plus your transfer coming in from uh, Central Florida. Mm-hmm. Then I look at the offensive line, and you know we had a center that was supposed to come back last year, and he fell out of the mix. Then you had another guy take over, got hurt after four games, you know, and then you had another guy switching positions. I don't think the line ever had a chance to gel. I don't think that they, you know, I think you had tackles that really, you know, either weren't physically able to handle it. You know, Troxel had all the injuries. You know, I don't know. Now look at this line, and you got. It seems like, you know, they just might be better. They will. They will be better. And and here's the thing: when it comes to the offensive line, and you could even say this about the defensive line to an extent, there was really only one direction to go. Right? There was only one one place to go, and that was up to get better. And, And it's nothing against the guys that were there. I think I'm with you that. I think they, offensive line is going to be a lot better. Uh, I think Avery Jones has a chance to be an all SEC caliber center. I think one of your two tackles has has the chance to make one of the three all SEC teams in Dylan Wade and Gunnar Britton. I'm probably going to lean Dylan Wade, but I think both are going to be significant upgrades. Jeremiah Wright's going to be on the field from game one, which I think is huge. I don't know why it took until like week seven last year for him to get any snaps at all. And when he was on the field, 
He was the meanest dude on the field, and he was just putting people in the dirt. I love the idea of having him out there. Then you've got the combination of uh, Tate Johnson, Connor Liu, and uh, Jaden Muskrat for the other guard spot. I feel pretty good about that. You've got a Xavier Miller backing up the uh, tackle put position. You've got a little bit more depth than I think you've had on the offensive line as well. Yeah, and if you, if you jump to receiver, the only one you lost is Shedrick Jackson. That that really played at all. Yeah, and I think the guys coming in are a huge upgrade. Plus, the guys that are returning will be better. Yes. you know I love some of the freshmen that we had last year that just didn't get to get play too too much. But I, I think. It seems like that could be a lot better of a position. And then you flip over to the defense. Obviously, the secondary returns just about everybody. I yes. think I think they do return everybody. And then and then you have a lot of young guys that are really starting to kind of find their way in there. So I don't. That's definitely an upgrade to me. And I'm and finally then, getting excited about the Jack and linebacker rooms, man. I think there are some studs in both of those rooms. The linebackers have really gotten better from a flip from last year to this year. My my one concern about the defense is purely getting after the passer off the edge the your ability to bend the edge to to put pressure on the quarterback I think you're going to be solid at it up the middle between Jason Jones Justin Rogers uh you can slide Marcus Harris inside uh Mosiah Nasili Kite I think he's going to be pretty solid you can play him up and down the line I think you're going to get decent interior pass rush and uh I just my worry is that truly at that jack position, Elijah McAllister, Keldrick Falk, who we now know is moving to defensive end, Jalen McLeod, Stephen Sings, can those guys generate legitimate middle of the pack to top half of the SEC pass rush numbers coming off the edge? Yeah, no, I agree. That's the one position, you know, but I do think getting the guy from Kentucky, Justin Williams, I mean, that guy's a stud in the middle. So your Mm -hmm. run game... You know, stopping the run should be definitely easier. Oh yeah, you. you I, know? I, I did the math. And, I think you bring and, in like eighteen hundred sixty plus pounds of just mass on the defensive line in your front seven uh, of just guys to help you stop the run. You brought in some thumpers at linebacker, some two hundred forty, two hundred forty five pound guys who will come downhill, and you've got seven hundred pounds in the middle. Uh, out of Jason Jones and Justin Rogers, they're going to be difficult to move because they're big and they're deeper than they've been in a long time. Yeah, when I didn't know they were moving Keldrick Falk over to the defensive end spot, but that means that they had they had Marcus Harris listed as the starter there. I guess on one of the depth chart things I saw, which means it would make me think that then they would be more comfortable putting him inside, or or else they feel better about the pass rushers on the outside that they're willing to move Keldrick Falk over. So, I don't know, and I think that obviously the, the special teams are going to be better, just as good. I mean, if not better, you know, you got the, your yeah. punter back and the kicker's awesome. So, you know, and, I, I just, and keep keep me, in mind, Pritchett is a good kick kick return guy. Uh, you've got Keontae Scott, who is a good punt return guy when he will, could hang on to the ball, uh, and then you also bring Brian Batty, who is an All American caliber return man as well, into your roster. So the special team is going to yeah. get a lot better as well. And I also I think we all think we're gonna have better coaching. I mean that was obviously <laughs> yes. a, a big problem last year. Yeah, so. that's gonna help all yeah. of those things you just talked about, scheme and play calling and organization and personnel, all of that falls under the coaching, which will be better in twenty twenty three. Yeah. And they like the coach, so that's another good thing. So far, yeah. Okay. 
Appreciate it, guys. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Good to hear from you, Dan. That is Dan joining us on the phone lines, 334-321-1390. I do think part of the reason why you're seeing Keldrick Falk get moved to D-end is I think he's, one, gotten really big really fast. Mm -hmm. I think he's pushing 280. Um, and when you when you have that mass, you can kind of play that true DN spot rather than that sometimes standing up jack spot. Uh, and theoretically, in some pass rush situations, if you don't feel as good about one of Jason Jones and Justin Rogers in the middle, you can slide Marcus Harris down. You can put Keldrick Falk on the field opposite Jalen McLeod. And I think that upgrades your pass rush package. But I, I, I don't think it I don't think it says anything about Marcus Harris. I think Marcus Harris is still the starter at defensive end. I think he's too good of a player to not start. Somewhere on this defensive line and with the giant bodies you have up the middle, I think the best four you put out there on first and second down is some version of Marcus Harris, Justin Rogers, Jason Jones and probably Elijah McAllister with the experience that he has. Yeah, and one thing that gets me excited about that position group and what seems to be the case on a lot of these position groups is you're going to have balance of young freshmen because we've seen Hugh Freeze go out and bring in a couple of big-time guys that are going to see significant minutes as freshmen, uh, but you also are going to have some experience, and you're going to have some juniors and seniors that have played college football, whether it be at Auburn or via the transfer portal. And I think you're going to have a good balance. It's not going to be over heavy of just the most experience in college football, but you're also not going to have a bunch of guys that are freshmen, sophomores that haven't played a bunch of college football. So that's one thing that I get excited about. And you can say that I feel like Carter about every position on this team, whether it be the receiver room or the defensive side of the football, like you were just talking about in the linebacker room or the Jack or the defensive line. And especially on the offensive line, because you mentioned somebody like Connor Liu, who will come in and have immediate impact as a young guy, but you also have older guys that have been through the portal experienced, whatever that are going to come in and make an immediate impact and make that room better. And that's, what's going to make Auburn that much better in 2023 and Dan's point about coaching being better yeah you, that's probably a pretty good bet that that coaching is going to be better in 2023 and that's what I think is important to note too is that sure you went out and got better players but you have better a better head coach and better assistant coaches offensive defensive coordinators you just have a better group to make the team better and I just I can't explain and can't even stress how important that's going to be yeah I 100% agree I think this defense has a chance to be really good especially if you can get some pass rush if you get pass rush Have I think to. this has to this has a chance to be a top third in the SEC unit got to get to the quarterback man now the, the quarterbacks picked Auburn apart last year if you're asking me uh because I know JD Piquel at on three cited Auburn's inability to stop the run as a reason for for concern and why he has Auburn picked to finish six and six, Auburn's run defense is not going to look anything like it did last year because you're going to rotate bodies on the defensive line. You're all of a sudden deep at linebacker. You've got nine guys who can play what's more than likely going to be two linebacker spots on any given play. Sometimes you'll have three. How much of a flip is that? 
from year yeah, to year. Exactly, because you played like three, four guys last year at linebacker. And you were and scared you played, to death every time they wrapped up the you football. You played five defensive linemen against Ole Miss. That's why they ran for 400,000 uh, yards. 400,002, yeah. <laughs> yes. And now when you when you look at that defense, teams are going to struggle to run the ball on Auburn. It, like The only place I could see the defense struggling is if that pass rush off the edge is not as good as you need it to be. And then you're all of a sudden you're asking your DBs, which I think are going to be really good, especially at corner, because I've said it before, Auburn's got five NFL corners on this team right now. They have five NFL corners, and I will stand by that statement. With that group, if you ask them to guard a guy for four, five, six seconds, they're not, I don't care how good you are. That's impossible. Which is what we saw last year. We saw quarterbacks yes. have plenty of time all day in the pocket and even the average quarterbacks picked this defense apart because they had so much time to throw the football if Auburn's going to finish at six and six it's going to be because Peyton Thorne didn't have a good year and the offensive line's not quite as good as you hoped it was going to be and the run game struggled as a result you're saying and those receivers that you brought in while they are an upgrade and they are they're still not very good which I which I think is a legitimate concern I think that Jair Shorter, uh, uh, Hooks, guys like that. I think they are definite upgrades. Caleb Burton, all of those guys. Nick Mardner, it's a little concerning that they went out and got three more guys after you went through spring practice, but I'll put you on the list. I mean, you're, you're a body there. Yeah. You lose Tavares Dawson. You lose Shed Jackson. Don't think that does a lot for you. I struggle to see... I don't think they're going to be a top half of the SEC wide receivers unit, but I think they're going to be better. If they don't pan out and the passing game doesn't pan out, that's where I think Auburn's Achilles heel could be. You're saying, before we get to break, you're saying if Auburn goes 6-6, six and six, because that seems to be a pretty popular number for Auburn in 2023. I don't think Auburn 2023. goes 6-6 six six regardless. No, but, but you're saying if they do, it would be because, because of the offense, Peyton not the Thorne defense. Thorne wasn't as good as you had hoped, and the receivers weren't as good as you hoped. It's interesting you talk about 6-6 six and six because later on in the show, want to talk about the ESPN FPI because they picked Auburn to go 6-6 six and six based off of their numbers and their formulas and winning percentages, um, it, you know, percent chance to win in Auburn's season coming up. They have Auburn going 6-6 six and six as well. We'll talk about that coming up in hour number two. When we come back, we'll wrap up hour number one. We'll give you the rest of the names and numbers of the newcomers for Auburn football as we get into hour number two here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 106.7 app. Wrapping up hour number one here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Looking at the Auburn football in newcomers that have their new jersey numbers. We talked about um, Peyton Thorne, the quarterback transfer, obviously from Michigan State. He will be wearing number one. Uh, to run through the transfers really quickly, then we'll look at the uh, the freshmen that are coming in. All their new jersey numbers, so the new names and numbers on the field this fall. By the way. We talked about Nehemiah Pritchett wearing 14. Found a wonderful clip of him almost having a pick six against LSU in 2020 where he gets pushed out of bounds by T.J. Finley at the one-yard line. (laughs) 
Wow. Well, there you go. That that statement just tells you all you need to know. It just is. I tell you what, man. He was a pretty dadgum, dadgum good player in 2020. His stats are awesome. Like he was a top ten corner in college football in 2020. I just I think you're just so used to seeing him in number 18 that yes. it's just it kind of overwashes that. But uh, quickly before uh, the music kicks us out of here, Peyton Thorne, number one. These are the transfers. Wide receiver Caleb Burton from Ohio State wearing number 10. Shane Hooks, the wide receiver from Jackson State, will wear number 11. Uh, Jair Shorter, uh, the wide receiver from North Texas, will wear number 14. Uh, At the jack position, uh, Steven Sings from Liberty, he will wear number 16. Linebacker Larry Nixon from North Texas will wear number 30. I like that. Uh, The jack position, Jalen McLeod, Uh, He will wear number 35. And then Jaden Muskrat from Tulsa, the offensive line transfer, will wear number 63. Out of the 2023 recruiting class, the quarterback commit Hank Brown is wearing number 15. Corner uh, Colton Hood wearing number 18. Sylvester Smith, the safety, will wear jersey number 19. The corner J.C. Hart will wear number 20. Jeremiah Cobb in the backfield will wear number 23. Terrence Love, the safety, will have 24 across his jersey. Champ Anthony, the corner, will wear 25. Tyler Scott, another corner, 27. C.J. Johnson, the safety, has number 29. Uh, defensive lineman Daron Reed, the uh, Darren Reed Jr. will have number 45. And then Tyler Johnson, the offensive tackle, will wear number 79. And the changes, we mentioned them once already. Corner, Nehemiah Pritchett, will go from number 18 to number 1. Wilkie Denod will go from 52 to 40. And Justin Rogers will go from 97 to 52. So those are all the new numbers for Auburn football newcomers, transfers, and uh, the 2023 freshmen coming in. So Lots of new names, new faces coming in on this roster. And uh, I mean, I don't, I like the numbers on there. I like Peyton Thorne wearing number one. I like Caleb Burton wearing number 10, too. I like that. Yeah. I, I mean, I like both of those numbers as well. Um, I kind of love Jeremiah Cobb in 23. Yeah. I feel like 20, good. 23 is a strong Auburn, Auburn running back number. Yeah, it is. And, and he's talented. We know how good he is, we know how good he can be. Uh, and I, yeah, I like him wearing 23 too. I think that's a that's a, a good number for him. Hour number one in the book. Stay tuned though. Coming up in hour number two, we're gonna talk some more Auburn football. Plus, the NCAA sent a nasty email to schools about NIL today. We'll talk about it coming up in hour number two. The following is an Auburn Network production. On the line, live on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Hope you're doing well as we get underway in our number two here on On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goins. Alongside me, as always, is Carter Bird here on ESPN 106.7. If you missed any of our number one, be sure to go and catch up with the podcast. 
You can find it one of two ways, ESPNAU.com, or just search on the line wherever you get your podcast. We talked College World Series as that wrapped up last night with LSU winning the national championship. Talked a little Auburn football as we talked about the newcomers getting their jersey numbers also talked about the roster a little bit and just comparing it from last year to this year so it was a fun first hour if you missed it again be sure to check it after the show today commercial free at espnau.com but here at hour number two we're talking about the ncaa as they sent a letter to all the schools today talking about nil and uh we'll break it down and talk about why the ncaa is in trouble and then coming up later uh, we'll talk some about the fpi from espn predicting auburn's 20 2023 record in football but if you want to be a part of the show give us a call 334-321-1390 carter today in the ncaa sent out a letter to all of the schools it, it informed the member schools on tuesday that some methods schools have started to use uh, to get more involved in nil maybe violations of the ncaa's rules and basically what the ncaa said the rules that that are technically basically basically the NCAA said just because the rules don't break any laws doesn't mean it doesn't violate our rules and what that tells me is the NCAA said okay we've got to try and get some control over this thing because colleges and NIL programs have just exploded this isn't gonna go well this is like the NCAA is making a mistake this is such a bad idea because yeah, I get what they're trying to do. I really do. I I get it. You you have to get some your arms around this in some fashion. But the way you're going about it, my opinion, is wrong because these schools are going to be like, ah, "We don't care about you. You're already dying." So what? I don't care what you want. You're not above the state law. You're not above the law in the country. And that's kind of what the NCAA is trying to say here. Yeah. I mean, Dan Lust, who's uh, a sports attorney, says, at the end of the day, the NCAA is now trying to take a stance that is not the law of the United States. It's not the law across each 50 states. In each 50 states, the NCAA is telling them they are above the law of our country. Here's a quote from the letter that the NCAA sent today from Stan Wilcox, the NCAA Executive Vice President of Regulatory Affairs. Here's the quote that really breaks all this down. He says, in other words, if a state law permits certain institutional action and NCAA legislation prohibits that same action, institutions must follow NCAA legislation. What that means is if it's okay in the law, but it's not okay according to the NCAA, you must follow the NCAA's rules and not the state law. And that's where this is all going to get ugly because when all of this started, it was, okay, how do we do this legally, right? How Basically, how do you pay athletes legally? Because it didn't used to be legal. It used to go against the NCAA, and then it became legal because states started passing NIL laws where you could start paying athletes. And the NCAA being who they are, they handled it extremely poorly. And they said, sure, here you go. And they opened the floodgates Mm -hmm. and they let all these schools and all these states do whatever they want. States are their own thing. But they let the schools do whatever they wanted to do. And they let this get so out of control that now the NCAA is like, oh, crap, 
maybe we should try to get a handle on this and try to reel it back in, which is something I talked about when all this started going down over a year ago. And guess what? That's not how it works, man. Once you let it get past a certain point, you're not going to bring it back in. It's like when you give a child so many, like if you give a child so many, you allow them to do so many things, right? It's all right. Oh, you can stay out till 10. Okay, now you can stay out till 11. Now you can stay out till midnight. Oh, but next week you got to be here at nine o'clock. Guess what? There's going to be some controversy there. And that's pretty much what's going on right here. And the NCAA sent this letter out today saying that, in quote, in other words, if a state law permits certain institutional action and the NCAA legislation prohibits that same action, institutions must follow NCAA legislation. Dan Murphy at ESPN asked, asked Texas A&M's athletic director, Ross Bjork, the other uh, earlier this week, he said, about this potential conflict. And the quote is, quote, the state law is going to govern how we do business. In terms of this, the state law will reign, and that's how we'll move forward. So he's saying, all right, hey, this email's cute and all. Come at us. Come at us and see what happens. Right, because like we've been talking about, within no more than 10 years, and I think that's ex- that is very, very extensive at this point, Big-time schools in, let's just say, Power 5, they're going to flip a bird to the NCAA and say, we don't need you because we have state law that will benefit us and back up what we want to do. state law in Texas that says the NCAA is not allowed to punish schools in Texas for utilizing some of these new NIL tools. 20 years from now, kids are going to be learning in school about the NCAA versus the United States court case, and I cannot wait. Or versus the state of Texas. Or versus the state of Texas. Or both. There might be a version of that. This is awesome. I love this. And the NCAA is going to walk right into this trap and get dismantled. They're they're going to be done in two years. And it'll collapse. If they do this. It will collapse. And and that's that's where all of this gets so dirty and so just unorganized because... NIL, whether you like it or not, whether you support it or not, it is out of control. But I think the schools and state laws can regulate that. The NCAA should have done it when it first started. They didn't. They dropped the ball. Shocker. Now the the states and the programs and the schools are trying to fix it. And the NCAA said, oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute. They said, hold up. We want to regulate that. So just because it's okay by the state law doesn't mean we're okay with it. And the NCAA is going to be in for a world of hurt. I can tell you that. Let's get to the phone lines. 334-321-1390. Terry, I'm sure you have some thoughts on this, man. What's up? Yeah, this is the beginning of the end for the NCAA. I tend to agree. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. It just just sped the time frame. It was going to happen anyway, but they just sped it up. by And then Carter said it, two years. And and I think it's because they're going to run into – legal trouble they're going to run into the law and shocker believe it or not the ncaa is not above state laws or the united states law and they are going to find that out and it's going to be a rude awakening for them y'all i'm sure you're gonna have a few rogue district attorneys or attorney generals and states you know make make a case but i bet you 40 out of 50 could go for uh, go against them Probably so. And and they're gonna so. and they have an argument. They have a fight. And right. again, it's gonna come back to the schools who are finally at some point going to realize, hey, we don't need 
the NCAA. They are worthless to right a there. big school Texas, like us. Texas ain't losing a legal battle to whatever the fake body that is the NCAA at this point in time. Yeah. I promise you that. No. I want to ask you guys, you guys were going over the change, number changes a while ago, and yeah. you got numbers guys are going to wear. Um, I didn't catch all of it, but I appreciate you doing that, Jake. I caught enough of it. Um, did you say Peyton Thorne's going to wear number one? Yes, he's going to wear number one. Yep. And, and Carter, you're right. 23 is an awful powerful number for Auburn running backs. I mean, you got Kenny Irons and Rod, Rod, Ronnie Brown. Yeah. Did I miss anybody? Uh, Rudy Johnson wore 32, which is just 23 backwards. There you go. <laughs> you, I mean, you you also had some other guys like uh, Ontario M- McCaleb wore 23. Yeah. Like yeah. there there have been some guys who have been elite, and then there have been some guys who've been pretty daggum good wearing that number as well. I'm excited to see what Jeremiah Cobb can do. Uh, some of the other ones just kind of running running down some that stick out to me. Uh, I love Terrence Love, the safety wearing twenty four. Uh, I, I twenty four is a strong safety number as well for me, and I think mm-hmm. he's going to be a great player. Uh, Larry Nixon is probably going to start for you at linebacker wearing thirty. Uh, I Jalen McLeod's wearing thirty five, which the last the last edge player that I recall at Auburn wearing thirty five was what D four just wrecking people off the edge. So maybe oh, maybe was Will Herring. Well, yeah, I mean he was he was linebacker safety. This is right. this is I'm I'm talking exclusively guys coming off the edge playing that defensive end <laughs> edge position, and mm-hmm. uh, D Ford in 2013 did a pretty good job of it wearing 35. Uh, but yeah, well, how I mean, do you guys feel about duplicate numbers? I've never been a big fan. You know, one guy. I think you said was defensive back's going to wear one, and then Peyton Thorne's going to wear one on offense. Yeah, you have Nehemiah Pritchett and Peyton Thorne both wearing one. Terry, you kind of have to though. Yeah, you when do. you've got when you've got a hundred guys on a team and eight, and eighty five scholarship players plus your walk ons, you're going to mm-hmm. have to duplicate numbers. Uh, and now, now I mean, I'll tell you what I don't. I'm sorry, Carter. I tell you what I don't like. I don't like. Remember a couple years ago when Montrevious Adams wore number one. Yes, it just it just looked funny. A big old three hundred fifty pound guy that. wearing number one. Hey, I, I, I don't love like that. it all. I love when a big three hundred pounder, when a big three hundred pounder wears a single digit number. Well, it sure didn't affect his play. Let's be honest. I mean, he was he was a wrecking he was a wrecking crew by himself. But I just think it looks kind of funny. Oh yeah, uh, it's, it's well, different hey, though. But I liked it, Terry. Do you remember? Was it was it against LSU? It was against somebody. Maybe Arkansas. Um, where we had a moment where Duke Williams and Montrevious Adams were on the same team, and Montrevious Adams was rushing the passer on a Hail Mary play, and Duke Williams was playing a deep safety, which should have been a flag and a first down, but the rest missed it. I do remember that. I, I, I do, was it against LSU? I don't remember. I, I forget who it, was, who it was against, but it was very interesting... Uh, Moment that that the the refs just happened to miss it, right? Because they're not on the field at the same time, correct? Not supposed to be. <laughs> not supposed not to supposed, be. Yeah. It not was October twenty sixth, twenty fourteen, against South Carolina. Okay. Yeah, so I probably came much closer than it should have been. Mm-hmm. So it seems that you guys go over that. I'm always appreciative of that because I like to kind of keep up with it that way. When a guy wears it, and there's so there's been so many changes. Um, 
Jacob, you're talking about some of the offensive linemen. Have, have, did you touch on that? I missed if you did. Yeah, Muskrat, yeah. the kid out of Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Yeah, yeah. Jade Muskrat, he will be uh, from Tulsa. He will be wearing number 63, uh, the transfer okay. offensive lineman. And then lineman. the freshman, Tyler Johnson, will be wearing 79. Mm-hmm. Mm, this is interesting. I, I like this. But Auburn's going to look so much different. I would advise uh, everybody, in, and probably the most popular guy in Jordan Hare Stadium will be the program guy. Yeah, whoever's selling programs. That's right. Be honest. Well, and yeah, but, and that's the thing because there's so many new guys, right? I mean, look at this. Yeah. You just look at this list. I mean, there's there's 20 guys, newcomers on this thing, 20 plus that are newcomers. Your in incoming offensive lineman Dylan Wade at left tackle is going to wear 52. Gunner Britton at right tackle is going to play wear 53. If you see uh, who else, who else, who else? Now, Jacob, didn't I hear you say that some of the defense was wearing 52 went from 97 to 52? Uh, another duplicate number? Yeah, yeah. So we Justin have a Rogers Justin is, Rogers is wearing 52. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, and that. then you have Avery Jones, your center, is going to wear 66. The year I was born, 66. There you go. Okay. Have a good day, guys. Appreciate it, Appreciate Terry. It, Terry. You too, Terry. man. Good to hear from you. 334-321-1390. Uh, yeah, looking at these, just going back on these numbers really quick. Um, Jeremiah uh, Wright's you. wearing 77. Mm-hmm. He was wearing 76 before this, I believe. Just a very small change, but it's just one that I happened to notice scrolling through this. Well, yeah, and like Terry said, I mean, you this this year's roster, man, it, it's gonna be, it's gonna look so much different. And it, we said it months ago. If you have if you have a printout of last year's Auburn football roster, just crumple it up and throw it in the trash, burn it, do whatever, because it's going to pretty much be useless, mm-hmm. uh, given all of the new faces you're gonna see on the sidelines, but especially the guys you're going to see on the field as well. So lots of different uh, New Jersey numbers, new names you're going to see, transfers, and uh, the recruiting class, plus the three guys changing their number, Pritchett, Wilkie Denod, and Justin Rogers as well. Terry, we appreciate the call, man. We'll go ahead and take a break, come back, talk some more about this NCAA news because, man, what in the world are they doing? What are they thinking? Trying to think they're above the law when it comes to NIL. We'll talk about it some more when we come back here on ESPN 106.7. On the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. All right, back inside the studio here at ESPN 1067. We appreciate Terry calling in. We'd love to hear from you as well. 334-321-1390. Just looking more into this letter that the NCAA sent to uh, their participating schools um, man, I just, I don't know, man. I don't know what the NCAA thinks they're going to accomplish with this. And if they, you missed they're it, they're not going to accomplish anything. Uh, it's going to backfire. Know. Oh, it's not going to accomplish anything. I'm just trying to figure out what they're, I know what they're thinking. It's just not going to work. Like it's not going to, to do what they think it's going to do. And, you know, you have, you have the fact that over, the last few months, uh, multiple, multiple states have laws that basically allow them to have fundraising groups that here's the, and I'm, I'm picking stuff from, from an ESPN article from Dan Murphy, uh, who wrote this, uh, earlier this morning, or I guess this afternoon when this stuff came out and he has a, a line in here that talking about over the last several months, Multiple states have laws that allow for, this is what he says, they allow for fundraising groups that are legally separate yet closely partnered with universities to start paying athletes for NIL endorsements. 
NCAA says, not so fast. State of Texas says, we don't really care because we passed a law. It doesn't sit right with me, the fact that you have fundraising groups that are, quote, legally separate but closely partnered with universities. I get it. I know all these different schools are trying to do this to get the most possible NIL money. That just doesn't sit super well with me, but it is what it is. That's the that's the dark side of college athletics that nobody likes to talk about, but we all know exists. Um, that's just part of it. But here's the thing. In a lot of these states, they have laws or are passing laws that make all of this legal. And so that's what the dirty side of it was for years and years and years was the fact that we basically knew it was happening. It just wasn't legal. Well, now it's legal, but the NCAA let it just go all over the place, and now they're trying to reel it back in and contain it inside of a vacuum, and that's just not going to work. And that's where all of this is going to get nasty, and that's where the NCAA may finally get humbled and and realize, oh, we don't have as much power as we think we do. Yeah, and look, the more that they push the envelope – the more that they try to assert their will and assert their right to govern the way that they have, the more, I think, the faster the end is going to come. Yeah. Because, yeah, I guess you can mess with LSU right now because they did enough wrong in football and basketball that they can't really fight it. Texas A&M, Texas, schools like that, if they ever come for Alabama or Georgia... Those schools are going to be like, who the heck do you think you are? Right, exactly, and, and Ohio as they should. State is on that list as well. Michigan's on mm-hmm. that list. Like, they're going to start because they have to set an example. Or they have to make an example of somebody. Mm-hmm. At some point, they're going to make the wrong decision, go after the wrong team to set an example, and it's going to backfire in epic proportions. The the Austin case that went in front of the Supreme Court telegraphs what what's going to happen. Uh, I think it was Kavanaugh that basically said, you, you have made all this money off the back of unpaid athletes. You're an antitrust violation. And essentially says, we welcome all, all cases against you moving forward because what you've done for so long is wrong. And now the fact that athletes are getting paid – the NCAA doesn't agree with how they're getting paid, which is some of these fundraising organizations, which the NCAA is not a fan of. In that letter they sent out today, they said that schools are responsible for making sure these fundraising organizations do not pay athletes for NIL deals. So, well, got some bad news for you. It's already happened. And it's going to continue to happen oh yeah and 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 there's nothing that the ncaa can do to stop it they can't they cannot stop it and here's what is so unfortunate because back when all of this was first originating right when name image and likeness became a thing when they started talking about paying athletes and athletes making money there's a difference there there's a difference and athletes being paid and athletes making money off of their name image and likeness those are two separate things okay When this conversation was first being had that athletes could make money off of their name, image, and likeness, I wasn't a huge fan. I wasn't. But I am now. And I've grown and I've adjusted. I see the benefits of it. But I'm not a fan of how it's gone down. And the NCAA 
had an opportunity to do it the right way, to start out slow and let it build as time went on. Of course, the NCAA just mishandled the entire situation as they do every other time, and they just they let all this pressure build up back behind the wall of NIL. They talked about it. They talked about the potential of it, how athletes are going to just reap the benefits of this. They're going to bring in so many deals and money and put your name in video games and all this different stuff. They let all that build up behind the dam, and then they poked a hole in it, and it broke open. It went everywhere. And now there's like, oh, now we're flooding. Now there's a mess, and we got to clean it up, and the NCAA doesn't have the power to do that. And so what I'm saying with this is they had a chance, even government had a chance, to do this the right way, and they did not, right? This was never meant to have quarterbacks in high school signing $3 million NIL deals. It was never meant to be a recruiting tool. It was never meant to be where it's at already. It was going to be, but that was not the purpose of it. And that's why you have these these fundraising organizations, right? That give that people can donate money to, where the money's spread out across all the athletes, and you get all these different perks and gear and tickets and all that, right? That was not supposed to be a thing. It was going to happen eventually, but the fact now that the NCAA is like, "Oh crap, we messed up. We need to fix this." You're just you're just kidding yourselves at this point. If you're the NCAA, it's not going to happen. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, look, the end is in sight for the NCAA. It's going to come to an end. It's a matter of time. Eventually, the Big Ten and the SEC, the two most powerful conferences, they're going to have some sort of meeting and they're going to be like, hey, why do we have this body that governs us and all these G5 teams that aren't really that connected to us and D2 and D3, we should have somebody govern ourselves. And then they're going to put that out there publicly, and whatever's left of the Power Five, they're going to be like, hey, you can fall in line with us, or you can be the kings of this second-tier kingdom Mm -hmm. with the NCAA. You can join us, make more money, have stuff that governs the big dogs in these sports, more fairly or you can be the big fish in the kiddie pool over here and what the ncaa is trying to do this was more of a reminder than anything from the ncaa today what they are reminding the schools and participants participants of the ncaa they're not wrong and the ncaa has good points their rules are good it's just the fact that They've let it go so far where schools have been breaking said rules because it doesn't break any state laws. And basically the schools don't care because if you break a rule, it's going to take the NCAA five years to even figure out if you broke the rule or not. And so at this point, like I said earlier, you've extended the curfew of the 17-year-old to three or four hours past what it used to be. And now you're trying to bring it back to eight or nine o'clock at night. There's going to be some there's going to be some disagreements in that. And Again, the NCAA may have good rules and good points, and I'm looking at the letter right now. There are good points here. But you're not going to have these schools just go back on what they've been doing for the last two to three years and go back in and basically give in to the NCAA. It's just not going to happen. And so 
look, I don't necessarily agree with how NIL is working and where it's going and where it already is, but it's never going to go back and it's never going to be under the governance of the NCAA. It's not. It's yeah. not anymore. And and that's on the NCAA. They can take every single part, inch of blame for that. And they should. And they're going to try and they're going to fail as they sent this letter out to participating schools today. When we come back, we'll talk about Auburn football as ESPN predicts a 6-6 six and six season. I just don't think we agree with that. We'll talk about that when we come back. Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. All right, 30 more minutes here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Well, we know one thing is for sure. Auburn football never truly has an easy schedule uh, when it comes to comparing around these SEC or even comparing college football when it comes to schedules, but... Seems like in 2023, it could be one of the easier schedules we've seen for Auburn in the past. But according to ESPN's FPI, doesn't seem like it's going to be an easy year one uh, for Hugh Freeze and this new staff. They, uh, according to their football power index, they looked through Auburn's uh, record. They looked through Auburn's strength of schedule. They looked at the schedule itself and they predicted and came up with the fact that Auburn has the fifth toughest schedule in 2023 in college football which again we've talked multiple times on this program about how it seems like an easier schedule that Auburn's had in a long long time and yet it's still a top five strength of schedule according to ESPN's FPI so then after they did that they went through and they give their win percentage their win prediction win probability for Auburn against every single opponent in 2023 and they spit out the record at the very end and so to read through those quickly before we start breaking them down game by game Auburn opens up against UMass they have a win probability of 97 percent and again we have some things to say on these we'll talk about it I want to read through them all first UMass a win probability of 97 percent Use or uh, against Cal, forty three point seven percent. Sanford, ninety eight percent. At Texas A and M, a win probability of twenty three point five percent. Against Georgia, a win probability of nine point two percent. At LSU, eleven point three percent. Home versus Ole Miss, the win probability for Auburn in twenty twenty three is thirty three point eight percent. Against Mississippi State, they gave Auburn, according to ESPN's FPI, 55.4%. At Vanderbilt, 68.9%. At Arkansas, win probability of 33.2%. Versus New Mexico State, 96.2%. And then against Alabama at home in the final game of the year, a win probability of 8.5%. With a number five strength of schedule, the projected record, according to that, 6-6 for Auburn football in 2023. Yeah, I'm not overly shocked that the FPI that I feel like has been a little out of whack this offseason. I think the FPI is so much harder to predict at this point in time right now with the way with the way rosters have changed and you don't know how it affects um the makeup of the roster, how they perform on the field. You don't know that cuz there's so many so many more 
new parts to so many of these rosters. So I feel like the old metrics for Auburn are going to hold Auburn back significantly. I don't think it's going to be... I don't think you're going to see Auburn struggle as much as this says. I mean, you're you're going to get a win against UMass. Personally, I don't think... I don't think you lose to Cal on the road. They are not a good team. Yes, they return a lot of starters, but if you return a lot of bad starters, you're still a bad team. I don't care about that. I don't think you did enough in the portal to be a good team. Uh, Jake Spavadal is your offensive coordinator. Congrats. Look, I think Woo-hoo. Auburn I think <laughs> Auburn is going to win that game. Sanford, I think you're 3-0 going to AM. Right, and I'm with you. And before I do that really quick, I want to read these things. A chance, according to the FPI from ESPN, a chance the Aub- the chance for Auburn to reach six wins is 58.2%. The chance to win the division, 0.2%. And the projected SEC finish is 12 out of 14. So not predicting a great year for Auburn, according to the FPI. But I'm with you where it is hard to predict those things. It seems like now more than ever especially with this Auburn team where there are so many new faces and new names and a new coach and new coaches like it's really really hard if you sit down and try to compare Auburn versus Cal or Auburn versus A&M or Auburn versus Alabama like it is hard to judge what that's going to look like in October November whatever because you just don't know and so I agree with you on that yeah I mean when when I look through these games I think your percentage of beating Cal is way too low. I think your yeah. percentage of beating A&M is way too low. Yeah, 40, I think, I think your, your percentage of beating LSU is way too low as well. Yeah, 43.7% chance to we, to beat Cal on the road. Uh, I just I know you're on the road, but I'm with you, man. Cal is not a good team. You know what's a freaking joke? What is a freaking joke is the percentage to beat Ole Miss at home. Yeah, that is bad. 33.8? That's really bad. Not a chance. Not only is Auburn going to win that game, Auburn's going to win that game going away. Ole Miss is not going to be the, Ole Miss is the biggest mirage in college football. They played a joke of a schedule for the first seven weeks last year. Start seven and zero. That was an eight and four. That was a seven and five team all year. They got lucky, pulled off an extra win. They go eight and four. Actually, they go eight and five because they they lost their bowl game. But they go one and five down the stretch when they started playing real teams. That's not a good team. The defense is still bad. I don't care what they did in the portal. The defense is still garbage. Outside the, of the, you, you got forty-seven quarterbacks. That's great. I'm with you. And and outside of Alabama and Georgia, Auburn should have a better chance than thirty-four percent to win at home. Playing anybody else in the SEC this year, I think you should have a better chance of thirty-four percent for Mississippi State. I know. At least they, at least they have you State winning that game. Low. At least Be- they have you winning it. Agreed. Barely. Agreed. Uh, also, it's just disrespectful to only put Auburn at a 98.1% chance to beat Sanford at home. That's When Auburn plays an FCS team, it rarely is almost 2% chance for the other team to win. It's, it's generally one or less. How do you feel about this one? At Arkansas, win probability for Auburn at 33.2%. How do you feel about that one? I because I think so many teams are going to take a step back. I think Arkansas has a chance to be kind of frisky. Is Arkansas and going to be good or is the SEC going to be down? I think the SEC is going to be down. 
in the West is going to be down because State's going to take a big step back. Um, Ole Miss is going to take a huge step back. Alabama's going to take a step back. LSU is going to be right there. Look, A and M, you got to prove it to me that, that you can actually do it, and you haven't. Save for the COVID year, you were good that year, which was special circumstances and teams reacted differently to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, heck, Northwestern won the Big Ten West that year, then it followed <laughs> up by not winning a conference game for two straight years. Um, look, I I think that heck. Alabama at home at eight and a half percent. I don't like that one either. Garbage. Yeah, I don't like that one either. The percentages are all entirely too low. Auburn's better than the 39th team in the FPI. The metrics of last year, because Brian Harson was so bad, they're going to hold Auburn back until week four when the metrics start getting adjusted or whatever it is. Auburn's not going six and six. Start comparing the FPI ranks. You mentioned Auburn is 39. They will play Alabama, who is above them at two. They will Alabama's play. Not they will. I agree, but they, according to right now, and in the FPI, they are. They will play Arkansas, who is above them at thirty. They will play Mississippi State, who is at thirty-two. Convince me of that, please. They will play Ole Miss. You're going to love this one. Who's at sixteen? Who's above Auburn? LSU, who's at four? That's above Auburn. They'll play Georgia, who's at three? That's above Auburn. They'll play A and M, who's at nineteen? That's above Auburn. You're at who's seven. One. Ohio State. I guess. USC? You're going to play seven teams on this schedule. Seven teams currently on Auburn's 2023 schedule that, according to the FPI on ESPN, are ranked higher than them. And yet, you are number five strength of schedule, according to the FPI. And we have sat here and looked. number one in the FPI. I don't hate that. I don't don't hate hate it. I, I think they're a great team. I don't think they're better than Georgia. No. But I don't hate it to be in Ohio State have of all two, teams. I'd have them two behind Georgia. I think Georgia at three is insane. And Alabama being above Georgia. Yes. I'm with you. But I mean, I mean, I could see the argument where Alabama is three. I could absolutely see it. Michigan's too low at six. Michigan's going to be four or five. Texas is still too high at five. Just going down the list. I mean, USC's too low at seven. I don't like LSU at four. They're going to be a really good team. But I don't have them at four in the FPI right now. I know, right. and this is based off of metrics, but still. Scrolling down the list, I got four teams that are criminally too low. Penn State at 10. Penn State's going to be a top seven team in the country this year. And, and what, whether that means they beat Michigan or Ohio State, I don't know. I was about to say, they're still not going to make it to the championship game, and they still won't make it to the playoff. Oregon is way too low at 13. Oklahoma at 11 is a joke, by the way. That is a joke. Florida State, entirely too low at 14. Entire, and so is Utah, for that matter. Those three, that block of three, Uh-oh. Oregon, Uh-oh. Florida State, and Somebody Utah disrespected are Utah. way Uh-oh. too low. Those are all, I mean, Oregon has a chance to be a top 12 team. Utah has a chance to be a top 10 team. Florida State has a chance to be a top 7 or 8 team. Yeah, also, and... What on earth are we doing putting Florida at 18? Florida. Yeah, they, that, that team that's going to go 5-7. and seven. They tried to sneak that one in there past you, didn't they? Not, not you, though. Awful. <laughs> not oh my you. Lord. Yeah. Well, again, Auburn on their, on their schedule for 2023, according, this is all based off the metrics of the Football Power Index from ESPN. 
Auburn is ranked 39 in that football Kentucky's power Kentucky's not index. 10 spots worse than Florida, I promise you that. In fact, they might be 10 spots better. They might be. And Auburn's 39, and they will play seven teams that are better than them, according they, to the FPI ranks. The only teams lower than Auburn, according to this, are what? Missouri and Vanderbilt? And Missouri's uh, one spot yep. worse? Dude, Missouri's going 5-7, and seven, and they're firing Drinkwitz a year after giving him an extension. You can't win at Missouri. No. We, we've proven it over yeah. time. Yeah, you've proven it, and they predict Auburn to go 6-6 six and six and finish 12th in the conference. I just, I just really have a hard time seeing that. I really have a hard time believing that Auburn is going to be the third worst team in the conference again. Yeah, I agree. That's not going to happen. Let's get to the phone lines. 334-321-1390. Shane, you're on the line. What's up? Hey, guys. I, I, I hate, I cannot stand preseason rankings. I, 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 they serve no use. You're, this is, they're based on information that we don't have yet. We don't know That's what true. any of these, these teams are going to be doing. All we're doing is based on, basing on what they did last year and, and recruiting that they, they, that they got. We don't know if anything, you know, we don't know what those players are going to be. So, so why, why do we still have preseason rankings? Or, or, I mean, that's a stupid question, so we can talk about it like right now. Right. Uh, it, it, which is what we but, mentioned at the beginning. you got to take this with a grain of salt because you don't know what the players are going to do. You don't know what the coaching's going to be like. You don't know what any of the right. other teams are going to be like. You're 100% right, Shane. It's the same thing as, as the preseason or is the, is the Heisman hype. You know, they, they, they'll pick a few players, and then, and then those players get more get more spotlight so that they so it ends up that some of those players might even be there at the end that don't deserve it as much because they were picked preseason. Mm-hmm. I, I can't I can't stand it. I can't stand it. Why why can't we just wait like three or four weeks and then see, oh, okay, these are the good teams. Those are the poor teams. Uh and, and, and oh this guy might win the Heisman or I don't know. They have the debate then when we have some gathered a few weeks of, of, of knowledge. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. And and look, I I feel like, you know, we're we're talking about it, A, because it is the offseason and there is, you know, there's limited actual, you know, new news to talk about. Oh, I'm not. I'm not down at, I'm not down on you guys. I'm, I'm y'all, y'all didn't put it out, you know. Uh, right. Y'all right. just you're just y'all just talking about it. No, so no, hundred percent. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, you know. It shouldn't be out there. ESPN is just fueling it. Just yeah. you know, they are. They do. It's, it's, they, it's they... Bill Connolly that puts together the FPI every year for ESPN, and I just think that the metrics in modern college football, the way he tries to weigh last year's results and where you finish statistically, and all these different metrics to what your team is going into the year, last year's results weigh way too heavily. Way too. Right, we didn't have the same coach. We had those a horrible coach, horrible mm-hmm. team I'm because still, of the coach. I see. I'm still baffled. If you're going to weigh last year, how the heck is Florida 18? How the heck is Florida 18? Right. Florida's going to be such hot garbage well, this why, year. Why is Georgia then not number one? I agree. Yeah, exactly. I, mean, I, 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 I guess you're this, saying this, they this lost college. so much to the NFL, it's going to knock them at the beginning of the year. I just, I just wish that things could be equal until a few weeks in, and then we have legit, you know, conversations that that um. But Shane, that, that doesn't weight. generate content and money, my friend. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Here's I'm something. with you. Your reasoning, something crazy. Your reasoning is is spot on, Shane. No doubt. Which is which is crazy, right? It's 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 too accurate. We gotta. That's right. Yeah, it's it makes too much we gotta, sense. We gotta man. mix it up. Anyway, I know you guys got to get to a break, guys. We're able. <laughs> Appreciate the call, Shane. Good to hear from you, man. Before we hit this break, this may be the craziest thing I've seen with the FPI this year. Considering how this game has gone the past two years, Ohio State, favored against Michigan, has a 71.2% chance to win the Big Ten. To win the Big Ten? Michigan has a 14.3. That is disrespectful. This is going to be the best Michigan team Harbaugh has had. That is disrespectful. And this is Ohio State team that is to Ann Arbor. super talented. And I'm not knocking them. They're going to be a great team. But we don't know a lot about that quarterback position yet because they haven't had to be on the field. And for the first time in what seems like forever in Columbus, they have question marks at the quarterback position. They don't know. They don't have a Heisman favorite right now. Ohio State is the most likely team to win the national championship at 36.7%. That is 16.3% higher than Alabama at number two. Michigan has a 3.9% chance. Michigan's made the playoff the last two years. How about that? That just feeds into what Shane was talking that is about. Crazy. Man. That man. just feeds into what he was talking that about. That is crazy. That's disrespectful to Michigan. Is the game at Michigan this year? Uh Graham says it's in, in All the it's more in, in Ann Arbor. All the more reason. This is a little much. Not look, and I'm with you, man. I'm not saying Ohio State can't win the Big Ten. I'm not saying the Michigan oh, is I'm downright going to win it. But those percentages are so out of whack. <laughs> those are terrible. <laughs> those are so bad. And 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 I hope I hope Jim Harbaugh sees that and says, you know what, boys, it better be up in the locker room right now. It better be. It better be. Let's get to our final break here as we wrap up the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Did we get confirmation? It's in Ann Arbor. All right. Well, give me Michigan. I don't care. I'm picking I'm it. Ju- I'm picking it in June. Give me Michigan over Ohio State. Give me Michigan to win the Big Ten. I can see going either way, but, but I, I'm going to pick Michigan until Ohio State tells me they have an answer for what Michigan's done the past two years. When we come back, we'll wrap it up on the other side here on ESPN 106.7. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 106.7 app couple of more minutes left here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Hey, if you missed any of today's show, be sure to go and catch up with the podcast. You can find it one of two ways, ESPNAU.com, or just search On the Line wherever you get your podcast. I'm still baffled. The fact that they have Ohio State as a 70-plus percent chance to win the Big Ten. Again, not oh, yeah. saying they can't. Not Even saying they eight, won't. An 82.2% chance to make the playoff. 57.2% chance to make the national championship game. <laughs> what? So dumb that that Shane, you're 100 percent right. I hope you're still listening. Like this all just feeds into what he was talking about. You cannot. How, uh, I don't care who you are. You can't have a 60 percent chance to make the national championship game before the first snap of the year, especially when you've lost to your rival two years in a row. And and tweet. they're better this year than yeah. they were. I, I'm with you. You can't. I mean, that, and that's why FPI. Not that it's flawed. I don't want to say that but it doesn't carry the same weight and it doesn't have the same effectiveness that it used to. And I think just because of how the game has changed, how college athletics have changed, you cannot rely 
on last year's results. You just can't. I mean, look at the turnover year after year after year on team after team after team, man. You just can't weigh that. Hey, they have lopsided, jacked-up things in every conference because, I mean, they've got Clemson with a 24% chance to make the playoff. Florida State, who I think is legitimately better than that Clemson team, 4.4. But it makes sense thinking on what Florida State has been, and you use past results and and whatever. They were better than Clemson last year. They've got they get they give Clemson a forty four and a half percent chance to win the ACC. Florida State just a seventeen percent chance. I don't hate that though. I don't hate. I that. do. I do. It's going to be one of those. Or North Carolina's a dark horse. UNC's got a thirteen point nine percent. Yeah, that that's what I that was makes say. sense. North Carolina's a dark horse. Because I think there they, needs because to, they they have the best quarterback in that in that league. They there needs to be a little bit more separation between North Carolina and Florida State. But other than that, I'll say this: I think I think the Big Twelve is a Dagum, just total guessing game with what's going to happen. What are they saying in the FBI? It gives Texas a 54.4% chance to win the league and a 34.2% chance to make the playoff. Because it's going to be Texas and everybody else. I'm not sold on that. Who else? The, the I will say this, the disrespect to Kansas State. Kansas State has a 2.9% chance to win the league, and they won it last year. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't like the three percent. They're not going to win it, but they deserve more percentage than that. They are behind that. UCF, Baylor, Texas Tech, TCU, Oklahoma, and Texas in the FBI in their own league. Wow. Mm, FBI, take it with a grain of salt. That's all I can say. We're out of time here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Come back tomorrow, though, two to four, right here on ESPN. Until then, stay safe. I'll talk to you later.